Hey, y'all, how you doing? Like, it's, like uh, Chris said, my name is David Mobley. I'm a pastor at Vintage Church, which is located in downtown Raleigh. We're also part of the Acts 29 network. I know we've had a couple pastors that have come and shared about that network, but it really is an honor and a privilege to be here with you all today. Uh, like Chris, we'll talk, like Chris said, we'll talk more about this at the end of service, but I will be the lead pastor of Vintage Church's next location, Vintage Church West. It's going to be located right on the border of Cary and Apex, which are two towns just outside of Raleigh. Uh, we have a public school that we're meeting at called Laurel Park Elementary School. And the week after Labor Day, we are starting our core groups and community groups. And so it's right around the corner and we're super, super excited. Um, but again, it really is an honor and a privilege to be here with you. When Chris asked if I would be interested in coming and worshiping with you. I really jumped on the opportunity and I'm so excited to, to be here with you. Now, I will say that when he told me there was no set passage or no sermon series, like I was terrified. I'm not gonna lie with you. Like, so Venice Church, we, uh, we kind of set our preaching calendar out for the entire year. And so whenever someone's like, David, you're preaching on this Sunday, I just look at the passage and I go for it, right? So to, when Chris said, like, just preach with what you think the Lord has laid on your heart, I felt this huge weight, but... Luckily, I believe God did just that. Um, a few weeks ago, I was going through the book of First and Second Corinthians and my personal devotions. And when I read today's passage, I really felt like God was just like, this is it. This is what I want to share with Restoration Church. And I am so excited to share that with you. So if you would, would you go ahead and open up your Bibles or put your devices onto Second Corinthians chapter 4? Today, specifically, we're going to be in verses 7 through 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. What we're going to do first is kind of read through the entire passage before we jump in, and then we'll go through verse by verse um, as we kind of break it out together. Um, so let's go ahead and turn there. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for bringing us all here safely today uh, to gather in corporate worship of you. Um, I pray now that in this time you would reveal yourself to us. 
Would you open up our eyes to hear you or see you and our ears to hear you and our hearts to receive and respond? And would you help us to leave shape more into the image of Jesus? And it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So as we start today, what is your favorite movie? I know you have one. What's your favorite movie? Lion King? Lion King's your favorite movie? All right, so for me, I grew up watching Godzilla. I had all the VHSs of Godzilla. Everyone's like, that's a weird thing to open up with. Yeah, I loved Godzilla, okay? So I had the thing where, like, if you would line up all the VHSs, you would see his head. You know what I'm talking about? Like, back in the old day, you could get the collection of those things. I loved Godzilla. Uh, I also loved the original Star Wars trilogy. Now, I'm not joking with you. You think I am. I had the audio memorized. My uncle stripped the audio from those movies, put it on cassette tapes, and when my family and I would travel, that's what we would listen to before you could watch TV and the car and all these other things. Like, we would listen to Star Wars, and I had it memorized. Um, I also love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, much to my parents' demise, they were like, why are you watching that movie? Stop watching it. I loved Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But if I could only pick one movie, right, just one movie to watch the rest of my life, I think I'd pick Braveheart. Anybody seen Braveheart before? I love that Braveheart movie. Now, before we had kids, there was a time where I would get up and watch that movie some, what, like three hours long or something like that. I would watch it at least once a month, if not more. And I'm not joking. I would get up early. I'd make this big hearty breakfast, get a cup of coffee, and I would just watch Mel Gibson kill it, both figuratively and literally. See what I did there? Right? Yeah. As, as William Wallace. Like, I loved Braveheart. I just loved it. There's something about this country putting it all on the line that made me think I could tackle anything that would come into my life. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they believe so strongly in their freedom, and William Wallace perhaps, that they kept moving forward, no matter the cost, come what may. Batter, battle after battle, pain, affliction, and suffering staring them at the face. But no matter the odds, no matter the results, they believed it was worth it. And more than just for them, but really their children and their children's children. And I think we see similarities in today's passage because I think it's emphatically clear that we see two things here. Number one, Paul's job as an apostle and a job for followers of Jesus today is to live for the advancement of the gospel to live for the advancement of the gospel. And the primary vehicle for that is our sharing of our faith. But second, I think this passage is crystal clear that we will experience affliction. We will experience affliction. So we shouldn't be surprised. Now, I think it's, attempting, or it's tempting to assume up front that only those advancing the gospel are going to experience affliction. You're like, maybe that's where you're going with that. But I think no matter where we find ourselves today, a follower of Jesus or not, we agree that affliction, seasons of pain and suffering, and just that general, like, what is going on feeling happen to all of us, no matter where we find ourselves today. But I think the key question is, how do we endure affliction? How do we endure affliction? Because unlike the movie Braveheart, we'll see that what fuels us has to be more than an inspiring leader or political freedom. It has to be more. For the affliction that we will face in this life, what will help us get through? 
I think this passage today tells us. So let's start in verse 7. It'll be on the screen behind me. Verse 7 starts in this way. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. So in the opening of our segment today, Paul is continuing what he would have just written to the church in Corinth in verses uh, 1 through 6, where he's elaborated and lifted high the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That in short, all men and women were created in the image of God and deemed very, very good. But that through sin, our choice to turn away from God, we have been separated from him. And that no matter how much trying or good works, it was never enough to bridge the gap, right? So much so that God himself comes to live as a man and live the life that I could not. But though he would live the perfect life, he would die the death and the penalty that I deserved. But is it an end there, right? He wasn't just a martyr. Three days later, he rose again so that all who believe in him may be made right with God the Father for eternity. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Nothing more, nothing less. And so Paul has just lifted up this powerful gospel and then starts our segment today with, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? This powerful message to be shared, delivered in this. I mean, what's he, what's he trying to say here? Well, he continues in verse 7, and according to Paul, it's not really a problem at all, Right? Let's continue reading verse 7. We'll read the whole thing this time. It says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul is drawing on an imagery here that folks in that time would have understood. So jars and clay in that time was symbolic of human weakness, right? Just human weakness and fragility. So uh, imagine having this beautiful treasure of just gold and silver, but like wrapped in a Bojangles wrapper. I mean, that's what we're talking about here when we talk about jars of clay, this crinkly little wrapper. But the statement from Paul resonates the overall theme in the book of 2 Corinthians that God triumphs amongst human weakness. That God triumphs amongst human weakness, embodying the very principle that we see in Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, where folks would have looked and seen this man claiming to be God, hanging on a cross and later dying, and saying, well, that's it. So much for that guy thinking he was God. Only three days later to see him rise again. And that changes everything. Because now he's more than a wise teacher, a powerful prophet, or even a great king. No, he, he has to be God. He has to be God. You see, Paul is wanting to drive home that God has entrusted this treasure, this gospel, in jars of clay for a reason. It's not by accident that through the lowly and the meek, through the afflicted, it demonstrates that God is responsible for the power of the gospel, not ourselves that God is responsible for it. We're just jars of clay, right? But he is sovereign ruler of all. It's not because of our status, our position, or our works, but because of God himself. No doubt he can and does work through those things, but the gospel's power does not come from those things. It comes from God. And I think for all of us today, it also gives us hope that no matter what, God desires to use me. 
for the advancement of his gospel, right? Regardless of my gender, my race, my socioeconomic status, my speaking ability, my knowledge, my status, position, power, geography, where I live, life, stage, or even this, or my current circumstances. My current circumstances. Because regardless of any of those things, good or bad, present or lack thereof, God wants to move through them for his glory. He wants to move them for his glory because the gospel's power is not dependent on us, but on him. And oftentimes it's through the most unlikely situations where we see God's power shine the greatest. Knowing that we would question this though, Paul continues in verses eight through nine. They say this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So here we see the paradox of being a follower of Jesus in the present age. We have this great treasure, this fantastic news to share, but oftentimes it seems like others aren't necessarily as excited to receive it as we are to share, right? And though we have the sweet treasure inside of us, it's easy to look around at our circumstances and start to question, is it worth it? Anyone ever been there before? Is this really worth it? for what I'm going through. And I think Paul understands that. When Paul writes this letter and uses these words, he is sharing his actual life. This is not theoretical. This is coming from a man that was stoned so badly that in Acts chapter 14, it says the folks in that city drug him off, left him out of the city, and assumed him to be dead. That's the life we're talking about here. So when Paul says that he was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, that dude means it. <laughs> like, he means it. But get this, when he, but he also says, in spite of this, he is not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, or not destroyed. He means that just as much. He's sharing his life. And folks would look at his affliction, both now and then, and say, how does this guy keep going? We thought he was dead. We drug him out of the city and he's up and at it again, preaching the gospel. How does he keep going on? How does this new religion, this new belief system and this man named Jesus keep going? Well, we know why. It's because God fuels them, not their circumstances. God fuels them. Now, for some of you in this room, you may resonate with Paul, but you feel like you are crushed. You are driven to despair, you are forsaken, and you are destroyed. You sacrificed, but you're not seeing any fruit. You're pouring into those closest to you, but receiving rejection in return. Maybe you've even shared your faith with those closest to you to see those relationships lost. Or maybe you just feel crushed. Every single day, a struggle to get out of bed and continue to keep going. And if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. And that in reality, Paul is writing this letter to you. He's writing this letter and opening up his life to his readers, saying being a follower of Jesus and sharing his gospel is hard work. It's hard work. 
Now, he would say it's worth it. It's totally worth every ounce of everything you have with your life, but it's hard work. But he would also say that more than just following in his footsteps, you're following in the footsteps of Jesus. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's continue in verses 10 through 12. They kind of elaborate on this. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but what? Life in you. Here Paul is elaborating on the big idea from verse 7, and like I said, really this entire letter, that God shows his glory through human weakness. But it's not made most evident in Paul's life or our life today, but through the actual death and the actual resurrection of Jesus. And as we look to follow Jesus with our entire lives, that includes our affliction. That includes the season of pain and affliction and wondering why. Paul is saying that through the apostles' suffering, others experience the life of the gospel. And this is no different from us today. Our fears of rejection, of sharing the gospel, are typically something like this. Like I said, rejection, right? What will I say? What will they say? What will I say? And then the, just, the list goes on forever. Or I think some of us may have thought this at some point, who am I to tell them what to believe? Who am I to tell them what to believe? And the list goes on and on in our head for reasons why we are um, just ash not ashamed, but scared to share the gospel. But hear me now. If the potential is eternal salvation for someone, would we say it's worth it? If the potential outcome is eternal salvation, would we say it's worth it? Paul would say it is. Paul would say it is. If my being given over to death, affliction in this present age means that someone else experiences life in Jesus, then it's worth it. Do you believe that? If you do, or when you come to that place, nothing can stop you. Nothing will hold you back. Paul continues in verse 13 saying this, <clears throat> Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. If there's only one or two things that you take away from the, this message, I really think this is one of those things that, again, I feel like God just laid on my heart, and it's this. It's so simple, right? We believe, and so we speak. We believe, and so we speak. Because, again, we can run circles in our head wondering if, when, how, with who we should share the gospel— and when we finally get to a place where we think like we are ready to share, God may have put this person in our place, a thousand reasons for why we shouldn't stare cross, start to cross our mind, just like we mentioned earlier. But Paul makes it pretty clear. We believe in Jesus, and so we share Jesus. We believe Jesus in Jesus, and so we share Jesus. And really, it's no different than anything else we do with our life today. 
You watch a good movie or a show, you share it with everybody. Am I right? The show Scandal, Avengers. Like, we're like, this is a great movie. You should go see it. We do that all the time. You find a good, or a good um, sale online. You text it with your buddies and your friends. You know what I'm talking about? That little group chat you got. You, everybody does that. Or maybe you experience the greatness of Aldi. You guys have Aldi here down here? Yeah, how a quarter can save you 50 bucks. Like, isn't that just incredible? I mean, you experience that and you want to share it with someone. And we do it with everything. The list goes on. You believe in something, you've seen some change from something, and you want your other folks to believe it too, and so you share it with them. So if you find yourself in this room a follower of Jesus, Paul would say that the next obvious step is to share your faith. If you believe in Jesus, Paul would say, then go share it. (laughs) Then go share it. And he makes it clear that we don't conjure up the strength to share on our own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us our faith, secures our faith, and sustains our faith as we share our faith. The Holy Spirit is the driving agent in this. We believe and therefore we speak, come what may. We believe and so we speak. And to be clear, we continue to live out this gospel when adversity and affliction comes. Not if, (laughs) but when because it will come. Let's continue verses 14 through 15. They say this, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So in these verses, Paul puts our affliction in the here and now into an eternal perspective. And he does that in two ways. First, he reminds us that followers of Jesus know the end of the story. Followers of Jesus know the end of the story. And I tell our folks all the time that if you know the end of the story, it influences you in the here and now. It's like going to see a horror movie or a mystery movie. And if you know the ending of the story, the ending of the movie, it's not the same watching it. Am I right? If you don't know, you're caught in suspense of what's coming next. But if you know the ending of the story, it changes everything. Here, maybe another analogy will help. So my life, my wife rather, loves Disney World. I mean, most folks in this room, honeymoon on like a beach or a foreign country or literally thousands of other options, but we, my wife, chose Disney World for our honeymoon. That's where we honeymooned was at Disney World. We've been twice since then with our kids, and she is literally plotting out how many times we can go for the rest of our life until Jesus returns. I'm not joking. She loves Disney World. Now, I asked her, in preparation for this, if we were going to Disney and we knew we could make it on time, would you rather experience traffic on the way there or on the way back? What was her answer? On the way there. Why is that? Well, it's because you know where you're going. You can imagine the rides, the characters, the Disney magic, right? The laughter, the fun, the memories that will be built. A few hours of traffic? How much more so when we think about eternity? How much more so when we think about eternity? Now, hear me now. I want to preface this because I think we've established that But for a follower of Jesus, we live our life not fueled by eternity, but in response to what Jesus has done for us. There's a big difference, okay? So we're not humble in light of eternity, 
We don't serve in light of eternity. We don't endure affliction in light of eternity. But instead, because Jesus did those things towards me, and now I'm living a life in response to that and wanting to become more like him by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Eternity does not fuel my humility, my servanthood, all these things in response to what Jesus has done and wanting to be more like him. But even Paul himself is saying here that we cannot deny, nor should we, that part of the inheritance for a follower of Jesus is eternity. Relationship with him forever in his presence. And what he's really driving home is this, is that this life is a blip on the radar when compared to eternity. Now hear me, he's not downplaying your affliction. He's not downplaying what you're going through right now, but he is saying that this will not last forever. That gives us hope. This will not last forever. What will last forever is your relationship with Jesus. Signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. In the here and now, amongst the affliction, and for eternity. And for eternity. Paul says that he can endure this momentary affliction when eternity is on the line. Do you agree with him? That's what Paul's saying. But notice here that Paul doesn't just talk about his eternity, right? I love this. Let's look at this in a little more detail. He makes this a communal eternity. Look at this. Verse 14, he says, knowing that he will bring us with you into Jesus's presence. In verse 15, he says, it is for whose sake? Your sake. Listen, Paul doesn't look past his momentary affliction just because of his eternity, but for the hope of seeing those in eternity, those who are afflicting him right now. Do you see the beauty in that? Paul doesn't look past his momentary affliction just because of his eternity, but for the hope of seeing in eternity the very ones he's being afflicted by. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And again, this is all in the footsteps of Jesus who came to save his enemies, who came to save the very ones who denied him since creation, but later would mock and beat and ridicule and murder him while on earth, who came to save me, who wanted nothing to do with him. The desire is for corporate eternity, for all who would call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And why? Verse 15 says it. An increase in thanksgiving. To the glory of who? Me? No. To the glory of God. All of this done to the glory of God. We'll conclude our passage with verses 16 through 18, but first I just want to read the beginning of 16. It says this. So we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart. If you find yourself today feeling like you're being poured out without being filled up, if you feel like you're giving without receiving, or if you feel like you're being just crushed, this passage is written to you. And these words are being written to you. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. But better than our society that would just say, buck up and just keep going, 
God in his word gives us the hope for why we do not lose heart. Let's read the entire segment. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They come and go. But the things that are unseen are eternal, lasting forever. Now, I think all of us in this room, whether you would consider yourself a doubter, a seeker, or a follower of Jesus, or maybe a mix of the two right now. Maybe you're in a season where you feel like you're a follower, but you're starting to doubt, right? I think all of us in this room would agree that things are just wasting away. That our outer self is wasting away. Whether our actual bodies, I'm on the record for saying it goes downhill at 29. Like it's just, I started getting sore faster and hurt more and it's just ridiculous. Now I'm 31 and it's just like, Lord Jesus, come on, I'm just joking. But 29, <laughs> 29 is when it goes downhill. Or the world around us. I think we can agree that things just aren't right. Life is hard. And it's not a matter of if affliction occur, but when it will occur if it hasn't happened yet. But I think where we all may differ in this room is what is this all for? Like, what is this all for? If this life is it, if we live 20, 40, 60, 80, maybe 100 years old and then it's done, what was it all for? But not just this life. What was the reason for the pain, the affliction, the suffering, the heartache. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, how do you reason through affliction? Not just with your intellect and your mind, but also your heart, right? How do you move through it? If you accept this even as a way of life, that's just the way it is. Why is that? Because listen, the Bible doesn't pretend like affliction won't come. This passage is emphatically clear that affliction is very real. But I think in these verses, we see how and why we endure. How and why. And to try and summarize, Paul tells us that our affliction produces two things. Sanctification and preparation. Sanctification and preparation. It sanctifies us by making us more into the likeness of Christ. Like who we mentioned was the front runner in going through affliction for other salvation, right? If you struggle with the idea of affliction and wonder if God cares for you, look no further than the life of Jesus, right? God himself, who was wrongly betrayed, accused, sentenced, and treated, all culminating in his death on a cross, even for his enemies. Again, my, me first in line. But much more than that, he now intercedes before us before God the Father. He doesn't just look from afar and go, man, that life is hard. No, he's been there. He's been through the affliction, and he joins you in it and intercedes before you. You are not alone. You are not alone. But second, Paul tells us that it prepares us. For what? Eternity. It prepares us for eternity. Eternity with God and others who God saves through the advancement of his gospel. 
And that eternity is made possible by believing in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. In eternity where there will be no more affliction, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, but continuous joy in the presence of one who so deeply loves. So if you find yourself in this room, not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to take the next step. Just investigate who this Jesus is, what he said. Read what the Gospels would have to say about his life and look at what he's done. Dwell on the fact that he jumped head first into affliction for you because he loves you. He didn't avoid it for himself. And we read here that he doesn't turn his head when you were in affliction. He joins you in it. Listen, the affliction around you won't disappear. But we serve a God who left his perfect throne to be afflicted for the salvation of all who would believe. This is the God we believe in. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you not to lose heart as you do our inflection for the sake of the gospel. And really, as you join in Jesus for the, in suffering for the sake of others' salvation. I think Paul gives us three really clear summary statements here for when, not if, we face infliction. It says this, number one, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you and helps you endure. Second, your endurance reveals the power of God to others. And number three, it provides a sure sign that you will experience eternity with him forever, along with others who call on the name of Jesus after our sharing. This is the good news that we believe. And because we believe, we speak, come what may. We believe, and so we speak, come what may. Through this affliction, we don't lose heart. As we follow the footsteps of our Savior who endured momentary affliction so that all who would believe in him would receive eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. It's a calling, an honor, and a joy to walk more in his image. Let's do it together. Let's pray.